Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We are starting a new series today. We're going to be looking at the whole issue of who needs Jesus. Who needs Jesus? Because actually the first three chapters of the letter to the Romans talks about how different groups of people, the fact of the matter is, is they need Jesus. And so we're going to look at the whole issue of who needs Jesus in their lives. And Today, specifically, we're going to look at the first 17 verses of Paul's epistle. It's actually his introduction to the letter. And through this introduction, we're going to see why Jesus. Because immediately when we say, who needs Jesus, the question is, why do I need Jesus? The question is, why him? Why not someone else? Why not Confucius? Why not Mohammed? Why not Buddha? Why Jesus? And isn't this just something that I can put off till later? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the whole issue of why Jesus, but ultimately we're going to answer over the next few weeks the whole issue of who needs him. And the reality is is that we all need him. We all need him. So I want you to notice with me verse 1 of the first chapter, Paul's letter to the Romans. Notice what he says. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Notice with me then verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, as we're going to answer this question about why Jesus I can't think of a better passage than this one because in this passage, Paul describes to us who Jesus is and gives us an understanding of the foundation of why we need Jesus. Because in this passage, he gives us a description of the gospel, the good news. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, verses 2 through 6, the good news or the gospel. And let me just remind you, gospel means good news. Good news. And so the whole issue of coming to Christ and how to come to Christ is good news. And so let's notice what he says. First of all, in verse 2, I want you to notice that it was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 2, first point I want you to see there is, is that it was promised in the Old Testament. Notice, first of all, verse 1, separated to the gospel of God, and so now he's going to describe it, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. It was promised in the Old Testament, from the very beginning, all the way in the garden, if you were going to the book of Genesis, from the very beginning, God gave them a promise. 
He gave Adam and Eve a promise that their seed would crush the head of Satan. And from that very beginning, they were always looking for this promised one to come, this gospel to come. Moses then later on would say another prophet would come like he, actually greater than he. David talked about the one who would come after him. They're all, every one of them, Isaiah, about the suffering Messiah. All of them pointing to Jesus Christ, ultimately, who would come and go to the cross for us. The gospel was promised from the very beginning. Salvation was promised from the very beginning. And the Old Testament saints, they held on to that promise and looked forward to the fulfillment of that promise. It was promised from the very beginning. Promised from the very beginning. It was promised in the Old Testament. But verse 3 goes on and tells us something specific about the gospel. Because here, we can get deceived in our church time today. We can think of the gospel as simply just a message. We can think of the gospel as simply just praying a prayer and I'm saved. We can get deceived in our thinking about what the gospel is. But I'm going to be honest with you. Verse 3 will tell you right off the bat who the gospel is because it was promised from the very beginning. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says this, Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What's he saying here? Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. See, the Gospel isn't just simply praying a prayer. The Gospel isn't just simply believing a set of facts. Oh, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or, I believe that He died for my sins. Or, I believe this. And I believe that if I trust in Him and have put my, put my faith in Him by salvation, I'll go to heaven. That's not, that's a part of the Gospel, but that's not what the Gospel is. The Gospel is Jesus Christ. It's a person. The Gospel is Jesus. And see, when you come to salvation, you come to salvation because you recognize who the person is and you commit your life by faith to the person. You give your life to the person. In fact, I want you to notice, go back to verse 1. Notice how the Apostle Paul describes himself. Here's the Apostle, one of the man who wrote half of the New Testament. Here's how he describes himself. He describes himself, notice how he describes himself, Paul, a what? A bondservant of Jesus. The word bondservant can actually be translated slave. See, he understood that by his committing himself to the person, he became that person's slave. The interesting thing about a bondservant is is that he willingly became the slave. See, the gospel is Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. All the way from the Old Testament, from Genesis, all the way, all the way. They weren't looking for a message. They weren't looking for some special doctrine. They were looking for who? A person. They were looking for the person of Jesus Christ. Can I be honest with you? Some of you here today, you don't need a doctrine. You don't need another set of facts to believe in. What you need is the person of Jesus. See, that's the wonderful thing about Jesus is He's still alive. And you and I have the opportunity to take our faith to the step of having a relationship with Him where we interact with the God of the universe on a daily basis. That's the wonderful thing about the Gospel. But we've reduced it down to fire insurance. Well, I prayed that prayer. I'm okay. I don't have to worry about anything else now. You've totally missed it when you think of it in terms of that. 
totally missed it. You've totally missed the opportunity that he's given you through the person of Jesus to have a relationship with the living God. That's an awesome thought. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not just simply so that you're forgiven. The gospel is not simply so that you make sure you go to heaven. The gospel is is that you get reintroduced to the person of Jesus and have a relationship with God. That's the gospel. And you know what? It's not because of you and because of what you did and didn't do or who you are or who you're not. It's because of what he did and the fact that he went to the cross to die for you. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. And see, here's the wonderful thing. Verse 4 tells us then that his resurrection confirmed the promise. Notice with me verse 4. He says this, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. How do I know that his promise of life with him, how do I know that his promise that I can have a relationship with him is true? How do I know that? Because he rose from the dead. Everything he said, everything he promised, everything he said about God, everything he said about the next life, everything he said about how one becomes a Christian or how one gets saved, everything he said is true Not because he just said it, but because he proved it through his resurrection. Because he rose from the grave. Because on the third day when they went to the tomb, it was empty. And Mary saw him. He was alive. He said, now what does that have to do with it? Because when he said all of these things about all of these promises he kept giving, he said, and on the third day, on the third day, I'll rise again. Strike this body down. He said, and in three days, I'll raise it back up. Look, and he it was very clear that he was going to go to the cross. He said he was. It was very clear that he said what would happen to him. It was very clear what he said he would undergo. He was very clear that he said he would raise from the dead. And if he was accurate about that, you better believe that he's accurate about everything else he said. And so the resurrection, the resurrection confirmed his promise. That's that next point there. The resurrection confirmed his promise. Wolfhard Pennenberg, who was a theologian, said this, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two reasons. The evidence is there for Jesus rising from the dead. I don't care what some movie told you they found a bone box somewhere that thinks that maybe it has the bones of Jesus in it. Actually, there's more holes in that video than anything. Even the archaeologists discredit it. It was written with a purpose, and that is to discredit Christianity. But there's only two reasons why someone would deny the resurrection. Here's what they are. Pennenberg writes, first, it's a very unusual event. How many people do you know are rising from the dead lately? And because of that, nobody wants to believe it. That kind of thing doesn't happen. It's interesting, you know, as we get around the time of Easter, a lot of theories are postulated concerning what happened to Jesus' body. And I remember one of the ones that I thought was most interesting. It takes enough faith to believe that one, to believe that he rose from the dead. And that is that the conditions were right in the tomb. There was just a right mixture of herbs and oils and everything. That Jesus' body was just spontaneously consumed by fire and then disappeared. That's why the tomb was empty. Boy, you've got to have a lot of faith in that to believe that, don't you? And so one reason Pennenberg says is because it's unbelievable. The second reason is this. If you believed it happened, 
you have to change the way you live. If you believe it happened, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you've got to change the way you believe. Why? Because His resurrection confirmed the promise. His resurrection confirmed the whole issue of the Gospel. He is who He is. He is the Son of God. And He died for you and I. And He gave us a new life. He gave us a new life. But there's a wonderful thing here. Verse 5 tells us a couple things that He has given us through the Gospel gives us. Notice what it says. Through Him we have received grace. Here's the point. Through Jesus, we receive grace. Through Jesus, we receive grace. Through Jesus, we receive grace. Here's what grace is. Can I tell you what grace is? Grace, the theological definition is unmerited service or whatever. Forget that. Let's bring it down to the level that you and I can understand. Grace is getting what you and I don't deserve. I think we can understand that one, don't we? Grace is getting what you and I don't deserve. And through Jesus, we receive what we don't deserve. What do you mean we receive what we don't deserve? First of all, because of who we are, because of the sin in our lives, what? We don't deserve acceptance with God because we sinned against Him. We don't deserve His love. We don't deserve His unconditional forgiveness and acceptance. We don't deserve any of that. But because of His grace, what now? Not because of me, but because of His grace towards me, I'm now what? Accepted by Him unconditionally. Warts and all. Everything. I'm accepted by Him. Not because of George, but because of Jesus. I'm loved by Him unconditionally. It's not based upon what I do or don't do or what I haven't done or what I should have done or what I didn't think I should have done or how how big my level of education is or how dumb I am or whatever. It's all based upon Jesus. See, through Jesus we receive grace. We receive what we don't deserve. We deserve to go to hell. But through Jesus we have received grace. 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 The other thing I want you to notice here, verse 5 tells us that we've also received through Jesus something else. And that's this. For we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. And among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. The next thing I want you to notice is this. Is that through Jesus we are called to obedience. Through Jesus we are called to obedience. You're called to obedience. Obedience to what, George? Obedience to a bunch of rules that we have here at the church? No. That's not what he says there. Notice what he says there. Verse 6, he says, We are called to obedience to what? Faith. What faith? Faith that you have in Jesus for what he's done for you. Faith in the new life that he's given you, into the new relationship that he's given you. See, he calls us to be obedient to that. He's not calling you to be obedient to dress a certain way, act a certain way. That's not what he's talking about here. He didn't say that, did he? If you want to, you can add it in there. We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to all that George tells me. Just write it in there. No, that's not what he said. We've received grace and obedience to the faith. Here, you know what? It's interesting. Notice what he says there. I want you to, I want you to grasp what I'm telling you. We've received grace and apostleship or the calling for obedience. God is the one who calls you 
to be obedient to him. Now, here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful thing. When you look through the New Testament, Jesus just doesn't tell you what you need to do. He gives you the strength to do it. Because the reality is, is that can you do it on your own? Anyone? No, you can't because you'll end up what? Failing every time. But as you recognize what God's calling you to do, and as he calls you into the issue of obedience in your life, you what? You will cry out to him and say, Lord, I know you're calling me to do this. You want me to do this. But I can't do it on my own. And so you're obedient to the faith. The faith that he's given you in your life. The faith that he's given you the strength to do it. That's what we're called to. Through Jesus, through Jesus we're called to obedience. Verse 16 and 17 now gives us the implications of the gospel. These are the implications for Paul's life and these are implications then that we can apply to our lives. Let me read verse 16 and 17 to you again. Paul says very clearly, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's the implications. Remember I told you, what is the gospel? Paul very clearly tells us that the gospel is who? Jesus. The first thing he tells us in verse 16 that we see from his example is, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Can I be honest with you? Your Christianity, who you are as a believer, is based on one thing only. Who you are as a believer is based purely on what you've done with the person of Jesus. Period. Whether you have accepted him and believe in him and have committed yourself to him, or whether you have not. Period. It has nothing to do with who you vote for. Although some people would like you to think that who you vote for has a reflection upon whether or not you're a believer. Interesting statistic this week for your knowledge is is that 60% of evangelicals are Democrats. Interesting, isn't it? That's reality. So it has nothing to do with who you vote for. Nothing. It has nothing to do with what church you go to. Gospel doesn't say, and thou shalt go here. It doesn't say that either. The gospel is a person. Who? Jesus. But so many of us, we're ashamed. We're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed because we've got a wrong definition of the gospel. You don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. You don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. You don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Here's the other implication. He tells us, verse 16, It means salvation if you truly believe. Notice what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So here he describes the gospel now. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I want you to understand that as far as the New Testament is concerned, life, humanity is divided up in two groups of people. Jews and Gentiles, or Greeks as it is known. Jews and Gentiles. But salvation, before, remember, in the Old Testament, salvation was only for who? The Jew. The rest of us were going to hell. In fact, that's what Jews said, that the Gentiles were the firewood of hell. 
But in the New Testament, because of Jesus, the mystery was is that he would take the two and allow them to become one, the church. So salvation, the implication is, is it means, the gospel means salvation for you and I if we truly believe. Now let me just explain something to you what I mean by believe, what the word here means by believe. We have reduced belief down in our culture today to just simply an acknowledgement of fact. We've reduced believing down to simply that I believe Jesus is God or I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but that has no meaning in our life whatsoever. I believe that Ed Rendell is the governor of Pennsylvania. But it doesn't affect the way I live my life every day, does it? Unless, of course, there's something I don't like, then I'll remember Ed. And that's how we are with Jesus. We've reduced it down to belief is just simply a knowledge of fact, but that's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about here is salvation... The implication of this gospel is that it means salvation to those who truly believe, that is, that you believe not just here, but that you believe here. That it becomes not just a set of facts that you know, but that it is something that you have embraced with your heart and you recognize and you have allowed it to affect who you are as a person. That's what it means. It means salvation if you truly believe. And then here's what it says. Notice verse 17. Powerful verse. This is the verse that changed Martin Luther. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Salvation comes through faith. Salvation comes through faith. You know what? My salvation has nothing to do with my baptism. Has nothing to do with how many times I come to church. Has nothing to do with how much I put in the offering plate. It has nothing to do with how much doctrine I know. It has nothing to do with my education level. It has nothing to do with how many good things I've done versus how many bad things I've done. Has nothing to do with what I could have done, should have done, haven't done. None of that has any implication on my salvation because the fact of the matter is, could I do anything for my salvation? No. Is there anything that I could do to appease God and appease His wrath and His anger towards me because of the sin in my life? No. My salvation has purely to do with what Jesus has done for me on the cross of Calvary. That's what my salvation is. My salvation is what Jesus has done for me, not what I've done for me. And I just, by faith, accept what He's done for me and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking someone like me and saving me. Thank you. I couldn't have done it myself. In fact, what we're going to see in the next few weeks is there's no way you could have done it myself. We needed someone to come and save us. And He did. And he endured, oh my, what he endured for you and I to have salvation. See, salvation comes through faith. Okay, George, I see why, but what does this mean? Two things I want you to think about. How do you view the gospel? How do you view the gospel? I want you to think about that for a moment. I don't want you to just kind of blow over it and say, oh well, whatever. I want you to think about it. How do you view it? Do you view it as the person of Jesus? 
Do you view it that way or do you view it as simply a message? Do you view it as simply the prayer you prayed? How, how do you view the gospel? Because that's going to have a big implication in your life. Because if it's just a simple matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, when the pressure turns on, and the pressure will turn on in life, will it not? You know, I'm 41 years old. I remember being 18, wet behind the ears, thinking life was going to be wonderful, everything was going to be great, nothing's not going to ever happen to me. And here I'm at 41 and I'm thinking, man, how did I make it through those years? And the pressure does get turned on. The pressure will get turned on this week, will it not? Something will happen in your life that you won't be able to deal with or you won't know where to turn to. You won't know what to... You know, and if it's just simply a, a, a bunch of little beliefs, a little fact, it'll just go out the window with the pressure, won't it? Because a bunch of beliefs and a little bit of fact isn't going to carry you through. A person will carry you through. God is the one who will carry you through. Doctrine is not going to carry you through. What do you believe about the gospel? I trust that you believe it's Jesus. I trust that you believe it's Jesus. You know, when I go through stuff, I don't say to Lori, Lori, you go to bed. I'm going to read some doctrine. Maybe that will encourage me. No, I usually say to her, you go on to bed. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I need to talk to God. Do I, do I sit there and say, oh, the doctrine of soteriology. Maybe, maybe eschatology tonight. That'll encourage me. No. It's God! I need you! That's the gospel! It's a person! The person of Jesus! That's what you embraced! What do you think? How do you view the gospel? And then finally here, you need to do this. Respond with faith. Respond with faith. Respond from the depths of your heart with faith. Lord, I know you're the one who died for me. Lord, I know you're the one who accepts me. I know you're the one who said that you would stay with me and be with me always closer than a brother. I know, Lord, you're the one who said that you would provide my needs. I know, Lord, I know you're the one who's forgiven me. Respond by faith and trust in Him. You can't do that with doctrine. Oh, I just received such great value out of the doctrine of humanity. Anthropology just stirs me in my heart. No, Jesus stirs me in my heart. That's why we need Him. We need Jesus. Do you? 
Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.